Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. sure do. Uh, Welcome to Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs, episode 91. Sometimes we're joined by a third party. Uh, I am Sarah D. Bunting. I'm here, as always, with Mark Blankenship. I'd like to thank you, Academy of Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) No thanks necessary. This Academy's always here for you. And for our special guest, uh, Mark's former roommate, my former lieutenant, Decider.com's Joe Reed. Hi. Hello, Joe. What? Ken Burns' baseball soundtrack. It oh, just it. keeps on giving. Uh, the the bit right after that is actual Joe DiMaggio trying to act in this novelty oh, no. song. Oh no! It's bad. But but he was so famously personable. Yeah, he really was. Look, he sold a lot of Mr. Coffees. Let's not let's not step to Joe D's acting. Okay. Uh, yeah, we're here to talk about Oscar nominees uh, in song, and perhaps otherwise. Mark, why don't you run down for the listeners exactly what we're going to do today? Sure. Well, first, I do want to say Joe is the perfect person to be with us. Uh, Joe and I, when we were roommates, Joe, I think you can attest to this as well. We spent a lot of time in our apartment, perhaps some would say a shocking amount of time, <laughs> discussing Oscars and pop songs. So Not shocking if you know me at all. <laughs> right, so, yes. yeah. Or me. Um, that was one of the reasons we were such good roommates. And it's also appropriate because Joe, when he first appeared as a guest on Mastis, uh, during our first run of episodes, was here to... Oh, right. You were here to talk about... St. Elmo's Fire, Man in Motion, which is also an Oscar, a song from a movie. So it's just, there are no accidents, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Cruelly not nominated for the Oscar that year, oh. even though, well, Mark and I were talking about this yesterday offline, about how the 80s were really like the murderer's row of the best original song ca- uh, category, where every song nominated basically was a huge like pop hit and... Like, that's when movie soundtracks were really in their heyday. And then the 90s happened, and Disney sort of conquered that entire category and sort of sat on it for an entire decade. And then by the time the 2000s came, people were like, nah, we're not going to make soundtracks anymore. So the the winners got a lot more esoteric. And I think this decade you've seen, like, it's been sort of a, a roller coaster from, you know, extremes to one another where you've got, like, Let It Go, which is, like, this massive, like everywhere hit also from a disney movie yeah you get like um, weird and then you get... hybrids of all of the other previous decades personality traits yeah and i would yeah. also add although we won't be discussing it and it's not nominated in that um in this zone that we're talking about but um oscar nominated movie strong island which mark and i discussed yes. on the blotter presents we did uh jvc force uh has a uh, like does the title track basically and it's such a good late 80s hip-hop break i downloaded Ooh. jvc force's entire album after we watched that film and did that episode and it has been such a bonus in my life so jvc yeah. force if you like the old school uh rap it's it's great. Kurt Gazelle is like this amazing editor, and I think he's doing it like on the fly, like live to oh, tape. It's pretty amazing. So okay, yeah. Strong Island is such a good movie too. You guys, hold on. JBC, Joe, Bunting, <gasps> and then I'm from Chattanooga. We're the JBC Whoa. force. Oh, except it's JVC. So oh, um, wait. I guess V is that I have a vagina. <laughs> that works. There we go. Okay, there it is. You know what? It's fine. It's but fine. let me actually we explain. solved it. Yes. <laughs> we did it. What are we, so what are we doing this week? Okay, we are going to be ranking the top, uh, all five of the songs that were nominated for Best Original Song for the 2018 Academy Awards Ceremony honoring films released in 2017. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to go through each of these songs, considering them alphabetically by the last name of the primary performer. And then at the end of each song, we're going to reveal which... Uh, uh, how many points we have given each song. And per our typical rankings episodes, that's how this works. 
there are a total of five point values that you can assign, one through five. So the song that we like the most, we will give our five point ranking. The song that we like the least, we will give our one point ranking. And so on and so on. At the end of the episode, I will tally up everyone's rankings and we will determine who Mastus plus Joe chooses to be the Oscar victor this year. And because we love you, our patrons and listeners, we have also asked our patrons to vote online in a poll for whom they would choose. And their votes and points will be added as we go. So at the end, we're going to actually have probably as many people voting on these songs as the Golden Globes do. (laughs) (laughs) Good point. So uh, to kick it off, the first song... Oh, and I actually want to say, too, just as a prefacing statement based on what Joe said, I think that this collection of songs is a weirdly great representation of all of the things that Joe was talking about from the previous decades. We have a little bit of everything. Yeah. It's a cross-section, for And the sure. first song is Mighty River from Mudbound, performed and written by two-time Oscar nominee this year, Ms. Mary J. Blige. So let's hear a clip. Time tells no lies It keeps changing and ticking and moving then passes by but if you're lucky, it will be kind Like a river flowing through time Like a river Let it wash it clean Like a river Going upstream Like a river Cutting through a rhyme Like a river Cause it never gives up Okay, so I called for the clip from this one, and we will be hearing clips from all the songs today, and one of the three of us chose the clip each time. And guys, the reason that I picked this particular clip is because I feel like the lyrics in this portion of the song reveal what I is driving me existentially mad about this song. So I'd like to, if I may, do a close read and then see what we make of it. Um... Time tells no lies. Okay, great. I'm all down with the personification of time. Fine. It keeps changing and ticking and moving, then passes by. How does that relate to deception? Unclear. But if you're lucky, it will be kind. Okay, that relates more to changing, ticking, moving, but has nothing to do with lies. Then, if you're lucky, it will be kind, like a river flowing through time. So... It's kind for time to flow through time like a river like is it is the is the snake eating its own tail is it what I just feel like maybe Mary God bless her and love her and I know I do maybe she wrote these lyrics more hastily than we she would care to admit is what I'd like to say <laughs> uh, I would agree with that characterization but in a far less gentle and uh, positive <laughs> manner. Um, love is the answer. Hate is the answer. Yeah, I had that written down too. <laughs> Ovarian American, yeah. please. Uh, no. Like, yeah, sure, true, but find a way that isn't still yeah. in the fourth grade. Like, yeah. I mean, look, doing often a close read of lyrics makes you like a song less certainly that's true of a lot of things that mark and i you know unpack like whatever yeah. creaming soda <laughs> which a which a listener I, I, tweeted us a picture there is an australian product called creaming soda i don't know i'm going to yeah. australia soon oh, australia. i'm afraid to go back should i cancel my trip let us know <laughs> yeah i think it's just cream soda like it's vanilla yeah. and then but the, there's other flavors like there's a red one but i mean creaming red like, creaming don't, soda don't do that australia mm. but yeah. yeah in in the case of mighty river like first of all every signifier in here is already exhausted before she opens her mouth like rivers time yeah. love like w- give me one specific like one i don't know like bring the symbology down to something that's yeah. not a river cuz Jesus Christ. And but I could let all that go, but I made this note at like 2 minutes in that it was like when is this song going to go? Like when is it going right. to start? When is it going to take off? Like I hear right. the choir, they're waiting. Yeah. It just never goes. And then you have nothing to do but think about the lyrics and the song just really 
Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'll, I'll give her this. It would be very tempting given how inert the song ends up being for her to oversing and she doesn't, but I, right. it just seemed like a waste of her to me. Joe. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the vocal definitely does have gravitas. I sort of, with all of these songs, I should say, I judge Oscar nominated songs uh, sort of differently than I do other songs in that, like, there's sort of a dual purpose thing here, right? Where they are songs on their own that should stand on their own and you either like them or you don't like them, but they also serve a function in the movie in some way or another. So I feel like I'm talking about these songs on their own, but also talking about them as they function within the movie. And so on one level, um, I agree with everything about the lyrics. I I will say I am a sucker for a gospel choir. So even if I don't like love the song, I'll definitely find myself (laughs) being like, like in my own life and just sort of, it's it's one of those things where like while other people are talking to you, it's very easy to like in the spaces between their words, just be like Maddie River, and just sort of now like in your inner monologue, Maddie River. Yeah, exactly. And you just like you just want exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, and everything you're doing starts to feel a lot more like important. <laughs> Kitty little, um, it's time yeah. to change. Kitty exactly. little. And it, it smells, smells like so me. strange. Yes. Uh, you might have just saved this song, Joe, for me. <laughs> uh, but I feel like lyrically especially, uh, it's simplistic in all the ways that Mudbound the movie is complicated. And that really sort of sets me on edge because Mudbound itself, I feel like, is it's one of my favorite movies of the year. And one of the things that it does is that it doesn't take these sort of easy lessons. It doesn't Mm. allow, it it really resists these kind of like white savior narratives or these sort of like nobility narratives. And this song could have been written about like any movie about sort of racial strife in the last 25 years at least. This And it has these sort of, you know, put our differences aside and, and everybody sort of come together. And like Mudbound is better than that. Mudbound is wiser than that. And and I think Mary's performance in Mudbound yes. is better and wiser than that. So that's why it's it's uh all the more puzzling that we have you know this song and it's over the end credits and sort of, you know, and I think that's a, maybe a big part of the reason why it doesn't really like lift up as much. Although she had a song over the end credits of The Help, another movie that sort of like was problematic. And that song was very similar, but like I thought that one worked a lot better. That one wasn't nominated in 2011, and I really sort of wish that it had been. And and if I could swap throughout history, I would take away maybe this nomination and give her yeah, that one. Yeah, this does seem now that you're talking about it in in these terms, like it belonged at the end of 42, which I was like, yeah, you know, this is a great story that this retelling is just, you know, yeah. Well, eh. and I would add that Sarah was correct. I had, to me at least, I had the same thought of when is this song ever going to get big? When is it ever going to have some emotion? But what's interesting to think about for me, Mary J. Blige's performance in Mudbound never gets big, but the, the contained quality of that performance actually reveals to me all of this depth. And it has an impact. So that's a performance that never gets started the way we might expect it to, but that's actually to its benefit. But it's the, inverse for the song and i would also add that when a song could without any editing be dropped into an a montage for the own network then also you know (laughs) that we're missing something essential about it having a personality well oprah's super soul sunday presents mighty river so i will say that for me i gave this i put this song in last place of the five and i gave it one one point so sorry mary so sorry it didn't do much better for me. This was my number four song, two points. Yeah, this was uh, number f- number five for me as well, one point. And our patrons also had it in a tie for last. Uh, <laughs> and so they give it one point as well. So not a great, not a great run for Mary. But I do want to say that the fact that Mary J. Blige is a two-time Oscar nominee this year is one of my yes. favorite things about this year's Oscars. Absolutely. I agree. So, Joe, I believe you have called for a clip from our next bit of animated musicianship. 
Yes. Uh, so this song is Remember Me from the movie Coco. Uh, music and lyrics by Kristen Anderson Lopez and Robert Lopez. And it's performed, It's there's several versions of it in the movie, performed at various times by uh, Benjamin Bratt. The sort of single version is by Miguel. And this version that I had clipped is the lullaby oh. version of Remember Me, uh, performed by Gael Garcia. Ooh, I think I made a mistake. And <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Remember me. Each time you hear a sad guitar, know that I'm with you the only way that I can be. Until you're in my arms again, remember me. Oh, no, okay, I'm sorry. That's the Benjamin Brad version. Then. <laughs> no, that's totally fine. Well, it, it sort of gives me an excuse to talk about the, the sort of elasticity of the song because... Uh, Robert and Kristen Lopez have talked about wanting to write a song that would have impact in a few different contexts. And so this context in Coco um, is, now I'm going to forget the character's name, but it's the um, the sort of successful, de la very Cruz? successful, thank you, um, who had a huge hit with this song and was a very successful singer until the one day he died. A, a big uh, bell from his staging sort of fell and <laughs> fell on him and he died. Um, and then a lot of this, the movie is sort of like digging into this character's history. Um, is he... The you know long lost great great grandfather of the main character Miguel. Uh, the whole movie is the sort of like voyage through the land of the dead. It's a very beautiful movie actually. Um, the Gael Garcia Bernal character is a, a spirit who sort of guides uh, the young Miguel character through, and he when he sings the song, it then takes on this other character where it's this sort of like sweet lullaby where he's singing to his daughter. His daughter being the great grandmother of our main character and that then sort of has implications to all sorts of different familial relationships in the movie this is sort of the best example i have of a song that works incredibly well within the movie that doesn't really hold up outside of the movie but i don't think it's meant to so within the movie like every time you hear this every time you hear the song it takes a little bit more extra meaning so that by the time you hear it, like towards the end, you're just fully crying and it's very, uh, you know, emotional and impactful. And then you get like the Miguel version, which is like Demi Lovato's Let It Go, which like, I'm glad you exist, but like we kind of <laughs> didn't need you. Or Kesha's um, uh, This Is Me but, coming up later. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. Although I do like that a lot and I will listen to that on occasion. Um but yeah, I don't know. I don't, what did you guys think? I was I was most curious to hear about what you guys think of this song because it really is so dependent on the context of the movie that I don't know if you have or haven't seen the movie. How would you uh, take um, it? I have not seen the movie. I accidentally listened to the lullaby version first and because it, I was like watching it on YouTube and they have the little end credits and like it's uh-huh. it's very sweet and it, like it's not sad, but it's also sad like i mean it's i was crying um (laughs) because it was like oh now i want to watch this movie and this seems like a really sweet story about like i don't know sort of um how you deal with death when you're talking to children and like you know everything that we as human beings believe about what happens after death and that ghosts are really for us like our stories about them are that they're haunting us to tell us something, but it's really because we need them, not the other way around. And then just the Benjamin Bratt version. I mean, Ray Curtis, (laughs) who (laughs) who knew that there would be this, um, this third act for Benjamin Bratt. So, um, yeah. Where was the law and order musical? I know Jerry Orbach Orbach was right there. Really taking it to town. And Jesse L. Martin. Hello. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. For real. Um, yeah, I I found this song adorable and the the comments about like wanting to write a song that could that could be adapted for various tones and various moments in the movie. I think it succeeds at that and it's, you know, it's just this little it's not like a a trifle, but it's sort of short and does what it needs to do and is simple and effective versus the last song we heard, which was simplistic and not effective. So for me, the song was uh, number two on the list. Oh, okay. Mark. And Joe, what, where did you rank it? I ranked it third with, uh, yes. what is that? Three points. Yeah. Dead, so dead center. I think that 
you guys are exactly right about the dramaturgical function of this song. And there, as I have been preparing, <laughs> yep. oh girl, it's it's uh, it's apropos. Okay, I have been preparing. <laughs> it's yes, always apropos. Right. It's not like we're ever talking about like, well, the dramaturgical function of this celery <laughs> stuff. The dramaturgical like, function you know. of this river, mighty river. <laughs> Um, I have had to create three rubrics for myself when analyzing my feelings about the songs on this list. The first being the dramaturgical usage of the song within the film. The second being the performance of the song, meaning the vocal. And then the third being the songwriting. And I find that this this song is absolutely hands down number one on the dramaturgical rubric. Because it is so clever, yeah. and uh, obviously the Lopez's wrote uh, "Let It Go" from Frozen. Bobby Lopez is an EGOT winner because he also wrote "Book of Mormon" and "Avenue Q" and some song for the Wonder Pets. So these are yeah. these are some folks who know their shit when it comes to writing. If I can, if I can interrupt very quickly, you know what it reminds me a lot of from Frozen is "Do You Want to Build a Snowman," which was always like secretly my secret our second favorite song on that because. It had a lot of it did a lot of like character sort of moving for yes, a song that that's sounded correct. so pretty. But you know, for me, at the end of the day, uh, my heart just swerved towards the songs that are more like uh, they're, they're, that make more sense outside of the context of their film. Although I did see I did see Coco. I really Fair. liked the movie, and as is always the case with Pixar movies, there is that scene that makes me start crying before my conscious brain even understands why, and that would be. <laughs> and that would be yeah. at the end of the film when suddenly, uh, spoiler, you guys, but whatever, this movie's been out for a while. The, at the end of the movie, when all of the ghosts of his family are playing instruments around him, I just was like weeping about that. I don't even know yeah. why. Oh, That's yeah. blanket ship bait for sure. For Look, absolutely I sure. I cried at okay. Cars. I still <laughs> cry at the end of Toy Story 3 in that, like, when yeah. they finally emerge, that it's like, oh, he's packing up his room. I need to leave. Like, I, can't, I have to go. So <laughs> with that in mind, I do think this song, I respect this song, but don't quite enjoy it. So I put it in fourth and gave it two points. And uh, our yeah. listeners, our patrons, put it right in the middle, just like Joe, and gave it three points. Right. And now, Joe, you are also up again with our next song. Yes. Yes. So this nominee is Stand Up for Something from the movie Marshall. That's the Thurgood Marshall biopic. That was, I should say, filmed in Buffalo, New York. Um, yes. Music by Diane Warren. God bless. Lyrics by Common and Diane Warren. And it's performed by Andra Day and Common. You can have, you can have I weep that American Idol was gone in the window of, I guess it's coming back now. This would have been a great, this would be a great American Idol audition song. I guess somebody could still do it in the, uh, in the revived version. Um, I should start off by talking, by doing my Diane Warren thing, because I have a whole Diane Warren thing. I love the power pop ballad cheesiness of Diane Warren so, so much. This is her ninth Oscar nomination. She's never won. She's nominated four years in a row from 1996 to 99. I would say she should have won in 96 for Celine Dion's Because You Loved Me. And That's when she lost right to uh, the Evita song that Sarah and I talked about recently. Yes, she lost to... Yes. Um, 
Uh, yeah. Uh, that Celine Dion song, just for how ubiquitous it was, deserved to win. And then Celine would have won two years in a row. Anyway, also 2015, I was sure that Diane was going to win for the Lady Gaga song, Till It Happens to You. I think the Oscar producers also thought it was going to win because, like, Gaga had that big, huge performance, like, right before that category was announced. And then Sam Smith won for that unbearable song from oh. the James Bond movie. <laughs> um,. I also feel like she should have won for a year. She wasn't nominated. Like, for you who haven't seen The Last of Me from Burlesque Hello. in 2010. Um, can't <laughs> Fight the Moonlight from Coyote Ugly in 2000. She also wrote non-movie songs like Rhythm of the Night and Unbreak My Heart and my low-key favorite Cher song, Save Up All Your Tears. Diane Warren's fantastic. Joe, this is why we were such great roommates. Yes. I love this. I have recently regretted that for the episode we did with Pam, where we talked about songs that should have been huge, that I did not choose Save Up All Your Tears. It's a really And we good will be song. talking about that in an upcoming episode because that song ah, is so good. Sorry, good. carry on. No, that's fine. That's good. I think this song, Stand Up For Something, is better than it has any right to be. It has a lot of those... Uh, Mighty River problems lyrically I think it's fairly pat uh, you know stand up for something feels very it's almost like a it really lowballs the accomplishments of Thurgood Marshall and it's like I mean yeah like he stood up for something like a lot of people stand up for something like Thurgood Marshall was a fucking star <laughs> and Marshall the movie also sort of like that movie has tone problems like crazy I it's not a disaster, but it really like teeters on the edge for uh, a whole lot of it. It really should have been a better movie. That all said, I think Diane Warren has an alchemist's gift for creating these sort of power chords and I like musical th- words that I don't understand the meaning of. Something she goes into a little laboratory and she's like, "Here, Joe, you're just gonna sing this song in your head for years," and. Uh, is it Andra Day or Andra Day? I feel like I'm mispronouncing her name. Maybe. I think her name is Cassandra. So uh, there however okay. you pronounce that, then Andra. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. I'm from Jersey, um, so Andra. <laughs> exactly. Buffalo represent Andra all day. Uh, I love, I should call her Andra all day because she is great. Love her. Love her as a vocalist. She had that song, Rise Up, that if you ever watched a television commercial or a TV promo from the years of like, you yeah. know, for the last four years, you've heard Rise Up. And it, that's another song where it's just like, I don't even know what this song is telling me. There's really no specifics in it. And yet it's rousing and gorgeous. And I think there is something in Stand Up For Something where... If I had heard, if I didn't realize this was a Diane Warren song, and I heard it, I'm like, "There's something about this song. It's not great, but I can't shake it." And it's like, "Oh, okay, that's why." It's sort of like, "Oh, Jerry Seinfeld used to have this bit about like, uh, <laughs> anytime you eat something and you like it, and you're not sure what to put your finger on, it is un- inevitably cinnamon that is the that is the ingredient you're talking about." And I feel like Diane Warren is the cinnamon of of songs like this, where it's just like, "I why, I like this. Why do I like this? Oh, right, it's Diane Warren." Um, she is not everybody's cup of tea. I'm very interested to hear, especially <laughs> what Sarah thinks about this song. But um, I I like it more than I should, is what I will say. So I will just say that Andrew Day, between this and Rise Up, is our current reigning queen of the vague anthem. Which is, <laughs> yes. And, and we always need someone in that slot. So good. Good for you, girl. Um, I will add that This song sounds a lot like a song that Diane Warren wrote for an artist named Paloma Faith called Only Love Can Hurt Like This, which was a huge hit in England and ridiculously did never broke through in the United States. But it is such a wonderful song. Paloma Faith, Only Love Can Hurt Like This. It has the same quality of a sort of throwback 60s wall of sound girl group production it's kind of like what you think duffy might be singing if she were still making music um right and i am such a sucker for that sweeping ballad that feels like it was recorded by 40 musicians in a room where everyone was smoking and the woman the women all had big beehive hairdos like great yes Uh that's i'm here for it and I think that in terms of my rubrics uh i didn't see marshall it's the only one of the nominated films that i well no that's not true we'll we'll get to that but i did not see marshall so i don't know dramaturgically how it functions but you said i think it was over the credits it is yeah, it, it sounds like a credit marshall, song yeah. but uh in yep. terms of performance we should also note that common is on this song and he is an oscar winner for the song from selma so you know yep. good on Glory. you common for getting a second oscar nomination and the performances are so- are solid and in terms of the songwriting 
Yeah, it's Diane Warren, like you said. I mean, I'm never going to be mad. For instance, Diane Warren can take a song like Expose's I'll Never Get Over You, Getting Over Me, and make me learn all of the lyrics because I feel like I'm required to. Because, yeah. you know, they don't mean anything, but they sound clever. Anyway, so I put this song right in the middle as well and gave it three points. And before we hear from Sarah, I will say that the listeners perhaps were not as moved. They put it in that tie for last and gave it one point. <laughs> <laughs> and Joe, what was your ranking in point total? Oh, I put this in uh, fourth place, but a strong fourth place at two points. I feel like everything but Mighty River on this list, I actually really like. I have, I, yeah, exactly. I'm not angry at any song on this list except Mighty River. But Sarah, yeah. carry carry forth. Um, I like actively disliked most of the things on the list. This was in the middle, but was did not escape my not even wrath. What's like the lesser <laughs> yeah. version of wrath? Dislath, uh, yeah, uh, opprobrium, um, like eye rolling. Sure, I sure I rollath. Um, <laughs> right. I like here's this glorious vintage warrior voice, and yeah. if you're watching the video, this fantastic manicure that like will kill <laughs> yes. you either from beauty or f- because it'll kill you. It's the, uh, those are some nails. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and this like formulaic lyric that like if you had like a, an app that was like a, you know, plot credit song generator, this is what <laughs> yeah. you would get if you put Marshall in it. I, in fairness, did not see Marshall, but nobody did. Yeah. It's fine. Um, <laughs> but like and then Common adds nothing. He, right. He's very much. He an just slows the whole thing down. And it's like I. Why are you here? It's like that um it's like that guy who does the bridge in that um that Usher song about like just going to the club and getting drunk basically and then oh, this guy young has, Lil John are we talking about Lil or John? Or no if it's Love in This Club it's Young Jeezy, I believe. No, you mean? it's not oh. it's not Love in This Club. It's um <laughs> Is it yeah? If it's yeah, it's Lil John. Which no, of the many songs by Usher about going to the club could you be referring to? All right, let me just wrap up my comments and then I will uh, then I will make this yeah. determination. Um, yeah, like it, it just, I mean, it it wasn't bad, but I just wound up focusing on what it wasn't. Period. Which Fair. is like, yeah. why why is this voice being wasted on this like plototron song? Why is Common here? Like again. I listened to the song while watching the video and I appreciate looking at common even when whatever he's actually doing is like sort of useless. Like he was the host of a fucking furniture making reality show (laughs) that I continued watching for like five episodes because (laughs) he sucked at that also, but he's common. I was like, well, Hey cheekbones. All right. What was this song? What was this show called? Like common, common chair, common couch. No, it was called like finished product or something like that. Okay. Okay. Fight to the finish or whatever. Sure. Who cares? Uh, yeah. It was stupid. Um. Anyway, let you two talk amongst yourselves while I determine. Well, what was your what ranking the... and score? Oh, third. And that's three points. Yeah, but don't don't let that. Uh, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> don't. Like, conf- it was like a fight for last place. Don't in this list. <laughs> don't confuse that for uh for a thumbs up. Yes. So no. yeah, for well, Joe, well, DJ got us fallen in love. Oh, Pitbull! Oh, right. Featuring Pitbull and his dumb rhymes there about TiVo that he thought were super clever. I still love that song, but Pitbull, <laughs> Pitbull can go anytime. Pitbull is oh single-handed. God, he is the most useless pop star of my lifetime. <laughs> Man. That is, a and there's a lot of there right are a there. lot of people running for that particular office. Let me assure you, but he sucks. <laughs> uh, so okay. with that, we will say. Also, Joe and I both have had the exhilaration of being retweeted by Diane Warren. So we <gasps> honor right. and bless you, Diane. Love hey, you. Hey, D. Good luck on number 10, Diane. I don't think it's going to happen. I also want to add, along with the Mary J. Blige song, and with this song, don't you feel like pre-exhausted by the overwrought performance at the Oscar ceremony? Yes. Yes, I do. There's going to be like 56 people all in white. There's going to be like scrolls (laughs) of scrolls of Puffy is going to find a way to insert himself into this experience. (laughs) Everybody in the audience is going to be holding like a white orchid. It's it's just I can't. I already cannot. Uh, 
but compared to Chris Pine will be a pile yeah, of yeah. tears compared to yeah. the um melismiotics that are going to happen in the next song that we're going to talk okay, about. Okay, so yeah, okay, now it's time to listen to a clip from This Is Me from The Greatest Showman, which I feel like there's so much there's a really a lot that I think we have to contend with in this, but uh let's just start with the clip. <laughs> Okay, you guys, so I pulled the clip from this, and I have to, God, I have, I just have to tell you about the journey that I've taken with this song. <laughs> First of all, this song is performed by Kiala Settle, who is new to the large scene of the American consciousness, but who has been a prominent musical theater performer for quite some time, and who received a Tony nomination five or six years ago for the musical based on the documentary Hands on a Hard Body. And she, which sounds ridiculous, but she was she was great. sensational in it. And I interviewed her for a feature because her performance was so distinct in that season. It was one of the greatest interviews I have ever had in my life. And by the end of that interview, Kiala Settle, the last thing she said to me was "Bye, bitch," and I have never. <laughs> oh my god! And so then, and also <laughs> Kiala Settle was in the musical, uh, the original cast of the musical Waitress, in which she had this yes. number called "I Didn't Plan It." Joe, did you see that? With her in it? I did. I saw her Can in it, Can we yeah. agree that she, as a live singer and live performer, is sensational? She's wonderful. And I will say also, I actually, and I don't I hardly ever do this, but I hung out by the stage door for that song. And she was so sweet and like lovely to her fans and was like so incredibly personal. But yeah, she's wonderful. I have nothing but wonderful things to say about Kiana. And Sutton. I went... So last year, I had a sh I had a job briefly with an organization that uh, involved me making a lot of online videos about this film as it happens. And I flew to Los Angeles and spent a day interviewing people on camera about this movie. I interviewed Pasek and Paul, who wrote this song. I interviewed Zac Efron. I interviewed Zendaya. And I interviewed Kiala Settle. And I reminded Kiala Settle of the time that I had spoken to her before. She remembered it, jumped off her chair, gave me a hug. So... Clearly, Aww. like, I am in the tank for Kiala Settle in all ways, all places, all times. So, sure. on yes. the rubric also of performance of a song, I'm not going to talk about the version we just heard quite yet. I want to talk about that when I was doing prep for the series of interviews I did about this movie, I got to see very early a rehearsal footage performance of this song that is now available on YouTube that I sent to you guys. I don't know if you had time to watch it, but... Oh, I've seen it like I had already seen yeah. it like 20 times by the time. And I that was my first exposure to this song, the stripped down, completely acoustic version where Kiala Settle is weeping. Hugh Jackman is weeping. Cynthia Erivo is there. I don't know why, but yeah. Jeremy Jordan's like, there. <laughs> Andrew Keenan Bolger's there. A guy there. I all went to grad school with named Brian is there. Like, I don't understand what's going on. Like, they're all there. <laughs> and you can just, there's something so electrifying about what happens in this room, in that video. And it will never not be my first impression of this song. So my first impression of this song was, holy shit, this is the song that's like, filling me with every feeling and my cup doth runneth over and I, all of the Fs and you know, my tears are flowing like a river. A mighty, but then, okay, so all of that means that clearly this song is number one on my performance rubric. Now, I have not seen the movie The Greatest Showman, despite the work I did on it in terms of interviewing people. I'm pretty convinced. I'm, I'm pretty surprised. convinced I would not like it, so that's why I have not seen it. But now I want to jump to the reality of the song as it exists in the movie. <laughs> because this is yes. and, and this let's do that. This is the version of the song that is currently, as we record this, the number three single in the United Kingdom. And the the movie has become this really the sleeper smash. It has now made more money at the American box office than La La Land. 
It is a huge hit all over the world. The soundtrack album has been number one for weeks everywhere. Like I said, this particular song is a huge hit single. Like It's a top five hit in all these countries, including the UK. However, this version of the song, this studio version, is to me almost a clinical example of soulless pop music. And there is nothing authentic about the lyrics. It is the most plug-and-play, fill-in inspirational quotes here. It's not about anything type of song. The lyrics are so vague. I have no... There is no way to, to praise or defend the songwriting in this song. However, because of all of the leather stuff I just told you, you guys... If you've been noticing, I haven't, I've, I've, have not yet said my top two songs. This song, I did put it at number two, and I gave it four points because I cannot undo what was done to my heart, even though intellectually I know that this song is indefensible. And I will say that the, the patrons also put it in a tie for first place. So that's four points for me, five points from the patrons. But now I understand and I release to the wind whatever you will say. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah, you and um, me. Uh, I'll keep this short. This is fucking garbage. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you're not wrong. That's she, the thing. You're not wrong. She is in beautiful voice. Um, I did watch the video you sent. I was sad that I hadn't seen it first because that might have saved the experience of this song, which I could not complete listening to because it's fucking garbage. Yep. Everything from the words to the arrangement is straining to get licensed for an Olympics montage, not on the flagship network, like on fucking Broadway. It and, that's got one. and it succeeded. That's, that yeah. has happened. Yeah. And gross. Like, I just, she is doing everything she can, but it's like, it's just bigger than her. And that's the problem. And it's completely soulless, cynical, clap Corporate. trap. It's corporate uh, uplift. Yeah. Pretty excited never to have to interact with it on a like working basis ever again. And that's all I got. Last place. One point. Joe. Okay. So I want to talk about Bench Pasek and Justin Paul, who are the songwriters here, who won the Oscar for original song last year for City of Stars from La La Land, who are probably going to win it again this year, and who are an Emmy Award away from being an uh, EGOT winners at an obscenely young age. Um, I find them to be wildly overrated as songwriters. I think just in general, they also did... Um, if you saw the Christmas Story musical live on Fox, they did that. They did, uh, of course, famously, Dear Evan Hansen, which is the most recent Tony Award winner. I think they have some truly fantastic songs. I think you heard that in La La Land. I think you hear that a little bit in Dear Evan Hansen, but their batting average is horrifically low. For every great song of theirs that I love, there are five or six that I think are garbage, and they're garbage in exactly this kind of way lyrically, where... The, the lyrics are all this, like, very incredibly hollow and empty claptrap platitudes, this kind of millennial baiting, believe in yourself, outcasts are awesome, like... Hashtag it, no bullies, it, uh, word. Seriously, and it doesn't ever engage. I mean, God, Dear Evan Hansen is, you know, it's the worst for that. And that, and again, there's a song in Dear Evan Hansen called For Forever that I think is like moves me to tears often because it like gets to a very specific thing about being lonely that nothing else in that show even attempts to do because the rest of that show they are they are resting so easily on their laurels of you know how much they support you know outcasts you don't it's you don't you're not a fan of waving through a window uh, i think it's sort of like it's like junior league uh, hmm. for forever i get i like some of it but the more it's one of those songs that the more i hear it the less i like it um i think winning for city of stars from la la land last year was doubly bad because there's there are songs in la la land i like a lot better than city of stars i think fools who um, dream is my uh, favorite another, song from that movie fools who dream is wonderful and i think another day of sun is like sneakily like sort of wry about uh people who go to hollywood to like live their dreams like there's a there's a darkness yeah. in that in those lyrics anyway um that all being said they can sure craft 
a song. It's sort of that like Diane Warren alchemy that like really makes you want to belt it at the top of your lungs. And I think Kiala's vocal is a big, huge part of that. But I also feel like there's something in the kind of power ballad uh, way that they, this sort of rousingness, like I can't wait to try and fail to do this karaoke. Like I'm going to be awful at it, but I like super can't wait. And you can totally strip to this one. You sure can. Oh, oh this is me. All of me. And then think about the look out because here I come. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Get out your poppers. Uh, but like the way that sort of second verse just sort of charges in and, and Kiala and the ensemble give their little give and take. And I think, I think Kesha does a good sort of like poppy version of it too. I think within the movie, it's really poorly staged and it's really, it sort of emphasizes everything that is kind of gross and empty about the lyrics because it's about these like, you know, to use a politically incorrect term that was popular at that time, like circus freaks. Right. So, and the movie is all about like, you should feel bad for like, ever thinking about that but like let us all like really like emphasize and sort of wallow in this kind of idea of just like look at how freaky they all are but like they're are, positive and Joe, they have you know are you self-esteem. suggesting that a glossy inspirational musical about pt barnum is an inherently <laughs> problematic project I mean, yes, and yet I feel like they could. There still could have been something like a good musical done about that, and I don't even think it had to have been like an expose about like everything that was bad about P.T. Barnum. But like this musical, and I will say, I don't think this is a good movie, but I'm glad I saw it and I think about it a lot. Um, none of everything that I've said f- from this point out, none of it is going to match up with what I'm about to say, which is that if I am being an honest person and I am making a pledge to be more honest, God bless you. I cannot lie to you and say i haven't listened to this song a fuck ton and sung along with it in my kitchen and it's on my like if you look at like my most played spotify songs from the past four months it would be ridiculous to imagine it wouldn't be in the top five and i could front and say that the better song of these nominees which we haven't talked about yet is my number one but I'd be lying oh. and I shouldn't lie to you. And I'm going to say no. with all appropriate caveats, I put this one. Yeah, Joe, listen, here's the thing. I've been, I heard this song for the first time in June of last year. So for almost a year, I have every day heard myself going, look out. Cause here I come. Yeah. It's, it's like Sarah's right. It's garbage. And yet, I'm making garbage. <laughs> I'm just like, it's like that Simpsons episode. It's just like, that's it. I'm just like, I, that's what it, I'm garbage for this year. So you know what? I'm going to, here's the I'm thing. Sarah is correct, it. but also I, I, you're right. My heart is wrong. And yet my heart beats. And I have <laughs> Tiffany songs, plural, <laughs> and have played them within the last 24 hours. Like, the heart does want what it wants, and when it wants garbage, are you telling me it could have been so beautiful? <laughs> it could have been so right <laughs> on that cold and lonely yes. night. Okay, so uh-huh. Sarah, that... children oh, behave. <laughs> That's what they say. That's what they say when we're together. <laughs> so uh, Sarah, that leaves us with one more song, and you pulled the clip for this one. Yes, I did. Um, this is Mystery of Love from Call Me By Your Name. Uh, this song is absolutely why we uh, indulged ourselves in this entire exercise was so that we would have a reason mm-hmm. to dig into this nominee from ha- someone else say his first name. Cause I, Sufjan. Thank Sufjan. you. I'm always like, Sufjan, sure, that's fine. <laughs> uh, let's hear a clip and then meditate upon it. I kept this clip pretty short because uh, this song brings me right back to the experience of watching the movie, which I adore. Um, yes. And yeah. which, but which was like, th- this is the very definition of bittersweetness, this entire film and the songs within it. Uh, I downloaded the entire soundtrack 
while the credits were still rolling on my screener. And then I started (laughs) the movie at the beginning because I did not want to leave this place and these people. And what I think is great about this song and Stevens, I had no use for in any direction before this, like didn't care either way. Um, This song and the other songs and sort of the whole soundtrack capture not only uh, that perfectly inhabited and unselfconscious summer of 17 sensual performance from Chalamet, um, but also that top note of like the colder weather that's coming that that Mm. you sense throughout this movie and then of course that you know that beautiful horrible ending um yeah but that there's always that like little there's always that like little puff of cold air that gets into the world of two uh of these two characters um so i mean i'm not sure exactly like talk about alchemy i'm not sure exactly how he does that part of it is this um like early 80s new wavy uh, echoey sound right. of the vocal and some of the which like matches the movie so well because the movie is this you know situated right in this sort of 80s yeah when the 80s were still like they hadn't formally curdled yet so yeah, and yeah, then there's that yeah. like plinking of the synthesizer and it's um i mean it's it's delicate but tough yeah. this song yes yeah and Especially like if you're watching it on YouTube, like listening to it is a little different, but watching it on YouTube and like, I don't know, seeing them riding their bikes together, it was just like, okay, I need to keep this clip short because this movie's great gift, which I hope will be rewarded. It spoiler it, you know, Ron Howard, it wasn't Um, (laughs) uh, like creating that, that world of two at the beginning of that relationship. And this movie's gift is that, you're allowed to be there with them and then everyone has to leave including the yeah. audience and that song captures that uh that's you know capital s sublime feeling yeah. of beauty and and fear at the same time um not to ladle too much dramaturgy on it but you can never you ladle know. too much dramaturgy on it it's a safe yeah, space i have a, i have a specific ladle just for dramaturgy it has a pearl handle um yeah so obviously this is my number one with five points joe talk to us yes yeah so i mean i love this song i this is my number one movie of the year i think everything you said about the movie is so incredibly right it is such a it's an incredibly evocative song it brings to mind so much about the movie um i i sort of like to think that sufjan stevens's voice is the sound of falling backwards onto your bed after an unrequited yes. encounter and you just sort of sigh yes. deeply to nothing oh and like, my god that's should i just voice. play the end theme because nothing truer <laughs> will ever be said about music by me certainly so it's wonderful it's so wonderful i think of all of this year's nominated songs this one I think is going to hold up the best to history. This is the one I, you know, given everything I said before, this is the one I want to win. This is the one, if I had an Oscar vote, I would vote for Cause like Pasek and Paul don't need another fucking award. <laughs> um, I think inside the movie, it's interesting inside the movie. It scores this montage of, of Elio and Oliver sort of like riding their bikes around and whatever in a way that comes a little bit close to being a little music video inside the movie and like just rides on the edge of taking the viewer outside the movie just for a bit. Um, But I think it stays on the right side of it. Um, The lyrics are very interesting. The song talks about it. It's in Mark. You can probably speak to this a little bit better than I can, but like there's been a lot of sort of peekaboo sexuality with Sufjan Stevens throughout his career. There's, you know, he, there were like gay rumors about him for like ever and ever and ever just from like the way he would write songs and he would sort of be coy about it and say like I'm talking about Jesus and like that's the stuff so I haven't followed his career closely enough to really speak to that specifically but this song has sort of been universally acknowledged as this kind of not exactly coming out but him sort of like being a lot more explicit about gay relationships in his lyrics this song talks, talks about a specifically you know gay love in these you know, for Sufjan, then these ecstatic religious classical terms. He talks about Alexander the Great and Hephaestion, and he talks about, um, you know, God in this sort of like very like 
esoteric way he uses the word mystery in this case the way he uses it in mystery of love it is i think intentionally supposed to remind you of things like you know like the mysteries of religion the mysteries of the rosary i don't know if i growing up catholic we learned about like the joyful mysteries the sorrowful mysteries the glorious mysteries all these beads on a rosary and so the lyrics of all of that then sort of melding together in a way that comments on the movie but doesn't like narrate the movie if that makes sense it's sort of it complements it and it's there's just a lot to dig into here i'm already kind of regretting my placement of it uh, in second place with four points because the more i talk about it the more i'm like this is great this is a great song this is you know this is music and movie coming together in a way that i feel like is perfect and i was so worried this wasn't going to get nominated because Things like this sometimes are a little too delicately wonderful to get nominated, and it did. And I don't think it's going to win. And I really were you really surprised wish that it was it this win. one that was nominated instead yeah. of Visions of Gideon? I was sort a little of. surprised. The thing we haven't, yeah, the thing we haven't talked about is that like the Academy uh, has an interesting relationship with end credit songs, where for a long time that was sort of where you put your best original song contenders over the end credits, and it sort of played on its own. And then sometime in the last 15 years, and I can't remember exactly when, but the Academy sort of explicitly started uh, valuing songs that were integrated into the movie more. And Mm. so this song plays over the end credits. I would argue that the end credits to this movie don't really operate the same way because the end credits to this movie... No, they're like the most... That's the best scene in the movie. Right, so they scroll over this scene of Elio, of Timothy Chalamet as Elio, uh, sort of breaking down crying in this sort of very contained way to himself after he's had this very uh, bittersweet phone conversation with Oliver. And it's funny because when I first saw this movie, I saw it at the Toronto Film Festival and film festival audiences are notoriously like running from place to place to place, right? They've got a screening, they've got to get to it, they've got to run, whatever. And so during that credits, there's still like, there's still movie happening. There's still acting happening and people are like filing out and I'm sitting there just resentful as fuck and just being like, people are sort of like passing in front of me and I'm just like, there is still acting happening. People like, this is not damn cinemas. Sit down. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. The acting that is happening over the credits is the acting that I think makes Timothy Chalamet deserve the Oscar that he won't win, but should win. He's wonderful in that scene. So I feel like, yeah, Visions of Gideon, um, I think it's a standalone song. I like Mystery of Love better. Visions of Gideon is more impactful within the yeah. movie, and it's interesting that Mystery of Love was the one that got. Yeah, the I, th- I was a little like not surprised or displeased. Just yeah, yeah, interesting. Anyway, Mark. Well, I I also put this song in first place, and the patrons put this in a tie for first. So no surprise on who we voted to win the Oscar. But let me just say a couple of more things because. I agree with all of the beautiful things that both of you have said about this song. And I think it also speaks to the song's power that it has, I think, asked all three of us to think deeply. And that's also such a rare treat in a, in a song that's accessible. But I've been thinking about how this song is exactly right for this movie. Because, of course, a movie in which the characters and their lives are suffused with the quest for knowledge with an appreciation for the classics. the Even the landscape of the film is filled with the mystery of, not only of religious ecstasy, but of classical ecstasy. Yeah. Of the feeling that you're in the hills of Italy where Hephaestion might have wandered. You know, there's yeah. this... And then there's this all those scenes in the film and the novel too, which everyone should read, I would, by the way, recommend. Uh, but the, 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 the story is suffused with this belief that deep knowledge is actually a pathway to spiritual connection. Yeah. And so how perfect for a writer like Sufjan Stevens, who will reference Hephaestion, who will reference a shorebird called a plover in a song. And he references it in this song. And I had to look that word up. I didn't know what it was. But he <laughs> says, I'm running like a plover. Now I'm prone to misery. The birthmark on your shoulder reminds me. That's a, that is the lyric of a deeply feeling, deeply intelligent person. And the reason I think Joe is so correct to say that his music is like falling backwards after an encounter is it's because we're all gifted kids, right? And you, there's something about the fear of expressing emotion when you're so smart and 
he just gets it. He is the symbol or the the avatar for everyone who is ever very bright and unsure what to do with their feelings at this age because your feelings will not be contained by your intellect. They will not be contained by your education. And that's one of the themes of the film. It's one of the themes of the song. He is the perfect songwriter to capture that because the mystery of love, I think, also is that it refuses to be contained by the by the walls that we build to understand the world, by the structures on which we base our analysis of what's happening around us. And if we are intelligent people who are prone to deep thinking, who find safety in knowledge, then love is terrifying in a way. And it's one of the reasons that I love the middle verse of this song that mentions Hephaestion, because really the first half of the verse is about his relationship with his niece and how her unguarded love has actually destroyed him because he said he was cursed by the love that I received from my brother's daughter. And I have interpreted that to mean this child's uncomplicated love forced me to look into my own heart and realize that I could both receive and want that love. So then it made it easier for him to have his heart broken. Next part of the verse, like Hephaestion who died, Alexander's lover. Now my riverbed has dried. Shall I find no other? So he's like, a child loved me. It made me capable of love. Then I loved you, and now you're gone, and now I'm sitting here bereft, and what the hell am I supposed to do? That is so beautiful and so thoughtful. And the fact that it's tucked within a song whose melody is great, whose singability is lovely, it's kind of like a tiny pocket miracle, this song. And the fact that it is being nominated for an Oscar alongside all of this bombast is one of the yeah. reasons that I love the Oscars. And this song is definitely not going to win. It's in the Amy Mann, Elliot Smith, yeah. Bird York. Yeah. It's oh. all of those like tender indie songs that never win. Yep. But I am so grateful that this is going to be there. And I also want to add, just because I'm a proud sister, my dear friend Laura Barger, who co-wrote our theme song this week with her husband Jack Baldelli, is a frequent collaborator of Sufjan Stevens. I saw them do a thing together at BAM a few years ago. Uh, it was Bam Cinemas in that moment. And uh, so she has also always just said nothing but wonderful things about Sufjan Stevens. And I just think it's amazing that a song like this is in a movie that is being celebrated. The fact that the song is celebrated, the fact that a movie like this is being celebrated, that it's probably going to win a screenplay Oscar. Like, there's just all kinds of things that would have been impossible to conceive of in 1998. So 20 years later, like... It, it This work of art and its embrace is, to me, one of the most heartening things that has happened in the last year of the culture of this world. So that's why that song is in first place for me. Five points, like I said, and it's a tie for first from the patrons. So there's, now, no, Mark, uh, does there's your... no mystery about that love, but since that won our <laughs> Oscar, can you also share with us what uh, took home the Razzie? Yes, so um, our Oscar went to mystery of love let's say our golden globe went to second place uh uh <laughs> this is me in third place our new york film critic circle award went to uh remember me in fourth place our people's choice award went to stand up for something and in fifth place our razzie went to mighty river Time mighty to river <laughs> Can I tell you, it's funny that you put the uh, the New York Film Critics Award to remember me because I got to go to see the uh, New York Film Critics Award dinner this year and I got to see Kristen and Robert Lopez accept the award for Coco and they sang a little bit. Oh, there are no accidents. Very sweet. Um, I should know one thing I haven't mentioned yet, listeners. Joe Reed, as a guest on our program, was the recipient of a Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs t-shirt. Ooh. Sure was. And... Hey. Listeners, if you would like a Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs t-shirt, you too can get one. We have them for sale. All you have to do to receive one is tweet us at TalkSongs, email us at TalkAboutSongs at gmail.com, or Facebook us at Facebook.com slash MassedUs.podcast, and you too can get a shirt. And if you would like to participate in future polls, like the one that helped impact the rankings on this episode, join us at Patreon at Patreon.com slash MassedUs. And the last thing I want to say you should join us in is a round of applause for Joe, 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 Joe Reed. Thanks. Feel like we should like outro with like Mark and Sarah talking talk about, about songs, talking about Mark songs. And Sarah. See you later. <laughs> it was great to talk, Mighty River. <laughs> yes. And now we're done. <laughs>
This is Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs, hosted by Mark Blankenship, that's me, and Sarah D. Bunting, and edited by Sarah D. Bunting. Need to talk to Mark and Sarah about song requests, ads, or birthday readings? Here's how. Email us at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com, tweet us at talksongs, or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mastus.podcast. And you can become a supporter and producer of this podcast at our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mastus. So until next time, thanks for listening. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.